Today's word comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. One day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. He scattered it across his field. Some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among the rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for a lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he had this, when he had had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. So they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Praise be the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? It's good to see you. Thanks for coming to church. You made a good choice to come to church. I'm glad you're here. Um, it's going to be a good day. I, uh, we've been in school for about a week and a half now, and, which is amazing for all parents uh, that your kids are in school. So you get your days back a little bit, but um, it's been, you know, a week, a little over a week, and uh, my son, Zeke, who's our youngest son, has already had a note sent home from the teacher, and uh, I thought I'd show it to you. So I brought this note uh, that they're going to throw up there from Zeke's teacher on day four. It said, today I disrupted myself and others by being silly or noisy, needing repeated reminders to stay on task, invading others' personal space, repeatedly calling out, not raising my hand. And I had to send a note home and sitting out, uh, sitting out parts of centers. And my first thought was, he wasn't unkind. We gotta, we gotta look for the wins. Didn't hurt anybody, wasn't unkind. So we get the letter, we get this note home and um, I wrote back to the teacher. I said, please make sure that he's wearing his glasses because he has terrible eyesight but he doesn't keep his glasses on, but his behavior is so much better when his glasses are on, if you know anything about kids or school or teachers or just, you know, in general, that part of the reason, part of the reason that he acts up sometimes is because he can't see anything that's going on. 
And so when he puts his glasses on, he acts better. So I, I put, the, put the note to the teacher, you know, make sure you keep his glasses on. So she sent us a picture during the day, had those things on there, and we're trying to tape them on. They, they won't stay on. <laughs> but what's true about Zeke is true about you and me. It's true about life. It's true about churches. And that is that when we can't see clearly, when we don't have vision, we tend to act up. We don't live as good as we can, do as good as we can. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18. Maybe you've heard this verse before. It's a famous one. Where there is no vision, people mess with their classmates is what <laughs> Proverbs is saying. Where there's no vision, you invade people's personal space is what Proverbs is saying. That you don't raise your hand when you talk because you, you're, you can't see, you're distracted, you're frustrated, whatever. Uh, it is, and so that's what we're doing for these next several weeks. We're talking about vision. We're trying to put our glasses on for our church, but it's not just true for our church. It's true for you as well, and I wonder this morning, do you have a vision for your life? Can you look into the future and see a future for your marriage, for your children, for your life? And I'm not saying you gotta be a dreamer. Everybody's not a dreamer. I'm not saying you gotta see 25 years into the future uh, you know, I, I don't know, do you have a vision for next week? You know, do, do you have a vision for next month? Like, is there something that you say, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing, God willing, this is where we're headed, and then reverse engineering whatever that is to say, in order to get there, I've gotta take these steps, I've gotta do these things, this is vision. Now, for those of us who are believers who have faith in Jesus, we want our vision to be beyond our ability to produce ourselves. And so we look to the future and we say, God willing and God helping, this is where we wanna be. And we're gonna do everything we can do, but there are some things that only God can do. And so we add the, the miraculous, the supernatural element in there. But do you have a vision? Because if you don't, you're not going to live the best that you can, do the best that you can, you will perish. You, you will act up, you will get distracted, you'll, you'll mess up, but the clearer that you can see, the clearer you can look to the future and see, the more discipline it gives to your life, the more focus it gives to your life. So I just wonder, do you have a vision for, for your life? A vision for where you wanna go and who you wanna be? Well, I, what I wanna do this morning is I wanna give you a little bit of vision for your life. And I can't speak to all the areas of your life, but I would this morning like to talk a little bit about a vision for your faith, a vision for a future, for what Jesus would do in your life. And so here's what I wanna ask you to do. I want you, everyone to close your eyes for me, if you will, and just try to not think about what you're having for lunch. I want you to try to just focus for a moment about the words that I'm about to say to you, all right? I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine your life, but a different life than the one you have now. I want you to imagine a life that feels unhurried and unworried. Imagine that right now. You're not hurried. You're not worried. I want you to imagine a life that exudes, just naturally exudes patience and peace and freedom over the obsession of people's opinions of you. You're not constantly thinking about those things. Imagine that for a moment. I want you to imagine a life that 
has genuine humility, so much humility that you're able to serve others without keeping score. Imagine for a moment a life free from secret sins, from, uh, free from bitterness and resentment. For just a moment, before you open your eyes, I want you to imagine a life like that. Unhurried, unworried, free from obsessing over people's opinions of you, genuine humility and true contentment, not striving to prove something. Do you believe that a life like that is, is possible? I'm serious. I don't know all the details of your life, but I want you to, to just, just think for a moment, is that life possible? Could you actually be that kind of person? Everybody look at me. I wonder what your answer would be to that question, and I'm not asking you to tell me, but I, I wonder what your answer would be to that question. Do you believe a life like that is possible? that it would be possible to live an unhurried and unworried life, that it would be possible to live a life free from the obsession over people's opinions of you, that you wouldn't be striving to prove something to everyone and that you wouldn't be keeping score of all the wrongs and the rights that are done in your life, that it would, you wouldn't have to defend yourself or worry about being misunderstood or being misinterpreted. Is that possible? Maybe you think, and I don't know, but I'm just saying, maybe you think, yeah, Jason, that's possible for like monks. That's possible for maybe for you as a pastor or like the people who are really good at the Jesus thing or the Christianity thing, but I'm a single mom of three. So the unhurried, unworried thing, that's never gonna happen. Or, or, or like, is it really possible for a business owner, for an entrepreneur who's trying to get a business off the ground to not live like striving? Is that really possible? Is it really possible for someone who's been betrayed to actually live a life free from bitterness and, and resentment? Hey, here's a question. Can a high schooler have that kind of life? I mean, is it possible to be a middle school or a high school student and not be obsessed about what people think about you? I'm not so sure, right? Isn't there some part of that that sounds too good to be true? Like, thank you for that. Thank you for, for letting me just experience a glimpse of that. I'm never gonna actually live that life. I'm never gonna actually be able to do that. No one can really do that. But man, that would be awesome if it happened, but it's never really gonna happen. Well, so I, don't, I don't believe that's true. The life that I just described to you is the life that was modeled and lived for us by Jesus Christ. He did that. And not only did Jesus do it, but the Bible tells us that it is available, that life that I just described to you is available to everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus and decides to follow him. What I'm not talking about is being a church attender. I'm not talking about being a Christian by profession. I'm not talking about being uh, an evangelical or being uh, morally upstanding. I'm not talking about any of those categories of things. I'm describing a life of someone who has an ongoing moment by moment, day by day, experience by experience relationship with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit that transforms you and me into completely different kinds of people that are living this same life in the context, surrounded by the same people, working the same job in the same neighborhood, but living a completely different life 
because of what Jesus is doing in our soul. Man, if I would love for you to be able to grab a hold of that vision for your life. Now, if you are like me, you hear something like that and you say, wow, the gap between what you just described, Jason, and where I'm at, like I'm trying just not to lose my mind this week. I'm trying just not to give back into my addictions today. Like the gap between what you just described and where I am is so far, it's comical. And listen, I hear you and I understand what you're saying, but it's possible. It's possible. And so what we're doing over these next several weeks is we are teaching through this idea for the vision of our church, the DNA of our church. We're talking about mission, but we're not just talking about something that's on a wall somewhere or some statement. We're talking about what it is that we believe that Hope City is called to do. And we're gonna talk about this at length, but in case you have to leave early or you tune me out the rest of the time, here's what I want you to know. What I just described to you is what I believe that Hope City Church is called to do. We are called to be a place where people can experience a life like what I just described to you. That this would be the place where someone could find Jesus, find people who have found Jesus and are living that way moment by moment, day by day, experience by experience with the Holy Spirit being deeply changed and it can live that kind of life. That we would actually resemble the life of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be. As a church, we believe that at Hope City, that's what we were put on this earth to do. Now, in some ways, in a lot of ways, every church is supposed to do the same thing. We don't get to, to, to you, you know, distinctly pick out every characteristic that's different for church because in a lot of ways, every church is supposed to do the same thing. Jesus made it clear in the Great Commission. He said to go into the world and to baptize people, make them disciples of Jesus, that every church on the planet is supposed to do that, that that is what we're called to do as Christians and as a church is the Great Commission. But how you do that is where God leaves it up to us. That our, our purpose in life as a church is to go, the Great Commission, go, reach people, baptize them, teach them how to be disciples of Jesus. But how you do that is where each church is distinctly different. It's why you go to different churches and you like that church potentially, but you don't like that church. Or it's why you feel connected at that church, but necessarily you don't feel connected at that church. Other people totally disagree with you. Their experience is totally different because there's things that are unique about that church. God leaves it up to us. Well, kind of. I mean, he, he does leave it up to us, but not exactly because the way that he brings about those distinct differences is he gives us leaders with certain personalities and styles and passions, and he gives a church a vision, a specific way to reach people and to make disciples and to build the church. Everybody does it just a little bit different. You can't totally copy and paste what some other church would be doing or what some other marriage is doing for your life or what some other parent is doing because God has created you distinctly different. And a lot of it can be the same, but there are parts of it that cannot because God created you like you and he puts together churches filled with people with distinct gifts, personalities, and passions. And so when you decide to become part of a church, you're doing more than to, uh, committing to attend services. You're, you're saying that you want to be a part of that vision, that you, that you want to be a part of the way, you want to be a part of the DNA of that. And so 
That's what these next few weeks are about, vision. What we believe God wants us to be doing at Hope City Church. Now today is actually a little bit of a special day because today is marks the 14th anniversary of my family being the pastors of Hope City Church. That was totally accidental that we started a vision series, Katie, on the 14th anniversary. I think it was, unless you planned it. Uh, 14 years ago, um, Thursday, 14 years ago, or this next week, the way it kind of works out, uh, Sadie was born, and then we became the pastors 14 years ago, along with another guy, Cecil Green, and then for the last eight or nine years, I always get the math mixed up, uh, we've been the pastors, our family has. And so um, over those 14 years, we have always, you know, if you've been around here long at all, We've been, we always tweaking a little bit, you know, we're always moving a little bit. We're always knocking down a wall to put a wall up, you know, and we're, you know, doing things because somebody actually said we, when I said we're naming this series uh, and, and what we're talking about change happens here, I'm in, I'm in it like people change, change happens there. And somebody's like, that is so true. It's always changing around here. <laughs> I was like, hey, wordplay. I didn't even think about that, but it is true. But we've always kind of tweaked and just kind of, we tried to be sensitive to like, what is God? Like, yes, the general idea is the same, but where are the distinctions where we feel like God in different seasons is kind of leading us in different ways? And part of my job as a pastor, just so you know, is just kind of, you know, test the wind a little bit, the Holy Spirit a little bit, culture a little bit, and say, okay, God, where, how are we doing what we, you know, what you've called us to do? And so what we're doing today and this month as we're walking through this is we are, um, we are adjusting a little bit. Over the last 18 months, myself and our elders have been meeting together, praying and planning for this next season of ministry in our church. And, and, and really, in all of those meetings, all of those conversations, it's really been centered around one word, and the one word is change. Change. We believe that people can change. I know right now you have someone in your heart and your mind that you would say, not them. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. We believe that people can change. We believe that situations can change. We believe that when Jesus gets involved, come on, Kaylee and the team rocking that song, that when Jesus gets involved and, and the name of Jesus goes out, that nothing is off the table. We, we, we want to be a church where it's normal for people to be radically, drastically, undoubtedly changed. Do you believe that that is possible? That, that, that people would not just be slightly varied, better versions of themselves, but that they would be radically changed, unbelievably, suspiciously changed. Like what in the world happened to this person? I believe it's possible. And can I be honest with you? As a pastor, I, it's so discouraging sometimes that we are so shocked when it happens. Wow. Like if you've been around church long at all, you know what I'm talking about. It's like somebody meets Jesus and is actually radically changed. And we're like, they are? Oh my God, it worked. Like, wow, it, this is what they've talked about. It just happened for this person. And we hold that person up and we go, look, but they're surrounded by hundreds of people and why are we not being able to see it in the collective of, of the group? 
And so I think it should be normal that when someone meets Jesus and becomes a part of a church, that their life is radically transformed, not just a little bit, but all the way, all the way. And the world that we live in doesn't really believe that this is possible. We, we, we live in a society and a culture that believes that you can improve. You can improve. Uh, Friday, I did one of my favorite things. I went and ate breakfast by myself, and I went to Barnes & Noble. It's one of my favorite things. You should try it. It's amazing. <laughs> And, um, and just got to walk around the bookstore, and I'm always, I'm always amazed uh, at, at how growing the size of the self-help shelves are. I actually was looking for a philosophy book, and I asked Letty because I couldn't find the section. I said, where's the philosophy section? She said, it's over in the back corner, and I walked over there, and it was like one shelf. It was like 40 books. But go to self-growth, there's like 50,000 books, Right? And the message is the same. You don't like where you are. I get it. Here are five steps, four principles, 10 keys. And if you'll do these things, you can be a better version of what you, of what you are. Just apply the principles. You can live your best life. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about living your best life. I'm talking about living a completely different life. Not being a better version of who you've always been, but a completely different kind of person. And here's what I believe. I believe there's no person too lost. I don't believe there's any sinner too sinning. I don't believe that there's any situation, no marriage too broken, no addiction too strong, that Jesus cannot change it. Not improve it. It'll improve, but change it. And that's what we mean when we say change happens here. That's what we mean when we say change happens here is that Jesus changes people and things and situations. But here's where it gets tricky, is that it's not easy to change. You know that. What I'm describing to you is no small thing. We're wanting people to follow Jesus and be changed, but we're fighting against spiritual resistance. We're fighting against a lifetime of, of habits and tendencies. We're fighting against cultural messages and deeply held beliefs. And what we believe that God has called us to do as a church goes directly against the air that people breathe every single day. What you're constantly consuming is the opposite of what Jesus and the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in your life. I've been reading a biography lately on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And the biographer, Marshall Frady, had this phrase, um, just this short phrase in the book where he said, that um, King wasn't just trying to fight against racism. This was the phrase. He said, he was pitting himself against his entire age. Wow. Is what King was doing. You've heard me say before that writer Flannery O'Connor said that you have to push as hard against the age that pushes against you. This is that same idea. And that's really what I'm getting at is that we have a message and a belief and a vision that fights against this age. Our message is that you are not your worst mistake. You are not hopeless. You are not helpless. Jesus loves you and died for you and you can be filled with the power and the life of Jesus Christ and you don't have to stay the way that you are. You can change. But that message and that idea and the work of actually doing that goes against the cultural onslaught and, and it's not an easy thing. So the question is, how do we do it? Sounds good. Honestly, it sounds too good to be true. 
Like it sounds nice, but it sounds too good to be true. How, how do we do that? Well, John read us uh, the parable of the sower um, from Luke, and that parable that we read helps us find um, an answer. According to, to what Jesus said in the parable of the sower, every single person, every human being it fits into one of four categories according to the parable of the sower. That all of us, when we come into these moments where we are presented with the word of God or the presence of God or an invitation to be met by Jesus or meet Jesus, all of us fall into one of four categories that Jesus described. And I'm gonna give them to you. The first category is that some people don't believe because they're just spiritually disinterested. They hear it, maybe that's you today. Maybe you'd say like, yeah, that's me. I mean, I'm here, you know, my parents make me come or my spouse makes me come or I wanna be a good dad, so I come, but nothing that's ever said or happens, no lyrics to any song, no presence of God, no sermon, no relationship ever penetrates that hard heart because you're like, ah, whatever. The second category Jesus describes are people who are initially excited, but they don't have any depth or roots, so it doesn't last. This is probably what we see most often is people who come in and man, they're so excited about their experience and, and meeting Jesus and the presence and the church. And, um, but, you know, there's just no, no depth in their life. And so uh, it doesn't last. And the third category Jesus said is that other people are interested, but they're also interested in a lot of other things. And so, they try to add Jesus to everything else in their life that they love and are interested in, but it eventually, he says, it chokes them out. But the worries and the cares of life and trying to juggle so much and manage so much overwhelms them. And the first thing to always get cut is, is your spirituality. But the last group, Jesus said, are people who in those moments cling to God's word and over time, that's key, patiently, he said, produce. Over time, they build their life on God's word that the seed, the, 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 the start, whatever God is doing, it goes into a heart that has the ability, a soul that has the ability to take what's happening and to patiently over time produce. They cling to it and it patiently over time produces. And so I think sometimes when we read stories like this in the Bible, we can try to be so deep or so spiritual that we don't read it literally and just see the point that is literally trying to be made. And Jesus is making a literal point here. He said it plainly that he said, people don't grow spiritually. People don't come into a relationship with Jesus, grow and last and produce in their life for three reasons, very plainly. Number one is the devil. Number two is because they don't have any depth or roots, and, and number three is because they're too preoccupied. Like, let's don't read between the lines to try to find the meaning, let's just read the lines, okay? He says, it's the devil, it's having no depth or roots in your life, and it's being too preoccupied with everything else that's going on in your life. The problem is not the word, the problem is not Jesus, the problem is not God, the problem is not the opportunities, the problem is the soul, the problem is what's happening beneath the surface of someone's life, that when those interactions and moments come with the Holy Spirit, that they are just not able 
to sustain this growing relationship with Jesus because the devil has a hold of their heart or they have no roots or depth or they're too preoccupied. And this is so simple that it's sad, isn't it? And what keeps us from becoming the kinds of people we wanna be is we're too shallow or too busy and life chokes us out. And what I'm not saying is that you can't attend church for 40 years or that you can't even become a Christian at some point in your life but live a miserable life. I believe that's true. You can do that. Some of you, that's where you find yourself today. You're offended by the idea that there would be more. It's like, I've been around a long time. I know what I'm doing. I got it. Of course you can do those things, but I'm talking about actually following Jesus and becoming a different person from the inside out. I'm talking about actually becoming the kind of person who more resembles the life of Jesus Christ. We want the Holy Spirit to remake us into the kind of person who looks, sees, feels, and responds more and more like Jesus would if he was in our exact circumstance. I want you to think about that. Don't rush past that, okay? Have you ever considered that if Jesus was married to your spouse or Jesus worked your job or Jesus parented your kids, what would he be like? Think about that for a moment. I'm serious. If Jesus was married to your spouse, what would he be like at home? If Jesus worked your job, what would he be like at work? If Jesus parented your kids, what would he be like with his children? How would he respond? What would he see and what would he feel? What would he, what would he like? What would upset him? What would not upset him? I wanna be the kind of person who as close as possible does what Jesus would do, sees what Jesus would see, and responds how Jesus would respond and feels what Jesus feels. Now listen, Jesus was sinless, which means he did it right every time. And you and I will never be sinless, but we can sin less, okay? Please hear me. We'll never be sinless like Jesus, but we can sin less. We can be more like Jesus. We can parent more like Jesus and work more like Jesus and be married more like Jesus. And this goes for every circumstance in my life when I'm sitting at a four-way stop or when I'm sitting beside a soccer field and the ref is a moron or when I am helping a friend who's going through a hard time or when someone's mad at me because they misunderstand what I said or what I did or misinterprets what I do or when someone spreads lies about me or when the grocery store doesn't have the item that I want it to have or when the line is really long at the gas station and the employee is incompetent or when the ice cream machine is broken down at McDonald's for the 45 fourth day in a row. What would Jesus do? But not just what would Jesus do, how would Jesus feel in that moment? And not just how would Jesus feel, but what would Jesus say? And what would he not say? As long as we keep our spiritual life over here and our real life over here, we'll never be able to bring Jesus into our real life but we wanna become the kind of people who would act like Jesus would act when we watch the news and we're terrified. 
or when our teacher sends a note home about our school, our kid at school. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be changed. The only way that I'll ever be able to do that is by being changed at the deepest levels of my soul. I'll never be able to do that with like motivational slogans. I'll never be able to do that with one verse devotional calendars on my desk. I'll never be able to do that with 30 second Insta story Bible verses. I've got to engage in a moment by moment relationship with the Holy Spirit and be changed at the deepest level of who I am. And and I wonder, do you believe that that's possible? Have you ever met anybody like that? Do you believe that that's possible? Well, this is what we wanna be at Hope City. We wanna be a place where people meet Jesus and develop a day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship with the Holy Spirit so that they are deeply changed and they become like Jesus, not just in their actions. Nothing wrong with WWJD, okay? I like that. But let's do a WWJF. What would Jesus feel? What would Jesus see? We want to become like Jesus, not just an action, but an essence, that we are the kind of person that Jesus was. And we're not perfect, but we're not using that we're not perfect as an excuse to not try. We're not saying, well, I'll never be like Jesus, so I'm not even going to be more like Jesus. We want to try. We wanna invite the Holy Spirit in and I wanna be like Jesus would be if he was living my life. And I want you to, to, to be like Jesus if he was living your life. But it takes more than church attendance and checking religious boxes. It takes inviting the Holy Spirit all the way in, all the way in, all the way in. And what we need is we need spiritual depth and emotional health. I'm gonna throw an image up on the screen that you're gonna see. You're gonna see this image a lot for a while um, because this is really um, what we're talking about and how we believe that, that God is um, inspiring us and prompting us to accomplish what he's put in our hearts and that we believe that to be like Jesus, not just in action, because you can fake action for a while, but not to just be like Jesus in action, that, but in essence, the kind of person Jesus was, that it's really a twofold approach. That first, you have to have spiritual depth. And spiritual depth is things like experiencing God's love, practicing spiritual disciplines, using your spiritual gifts, having doctrine and theology, believing the right things, knowing the right things. You gotta have spiritual depth. If you only have emotional health but no spiritual depth, then what you're doing is not Christian. It's not even practicing something that's Christian. It's just good mental health. It's just good, you know, emotional maturity, which is fine. That's great. But we got to bring this, the Jesus part into it as well. But we don't just want spiritual depth because we could like do like a, you know, 140 week Hebrew study of a book of the Bible, but still be emotionally immature people. Anybody ever met an emotionally immature Christian? Anybody would admit, I am an emotionally immature Christian, me, (laughs) right? This is my story in a lot of ways is like I I grew up in church. uh, I love to learn. And so, man, for 30 plus years of my life, like I knew so much information, but 
hadn't necessarily let the Holy Spirit get, get levels deep. And so we don't just want spiritual depth, we want emotional health. Emotional health looks like self-awareness, maturity, healing from past wounds, eliminating destructive habits. We gotta have both, spiritual depth and emotional health. And this is where deep change occurs. This is where the Holy Spirit moment by moment gets down into the deepest parts of our soul and begins to make us more like the kind of person that Jesus is and what he would be if he was living our exact life. It's at the intersection of spiritual depth and emotional health. Now, the easiest thing in the world to do is to say, I'm discontent with where I'm at. I wanna be better. Give me a Bible reading plan, pastor, and uh, I'm gonna join a growth group. And listen, nothing wrong with reading a Bible plan and joining a growth group. But what can happen is, is that you can learn, but be unchanged. Because you never allow uh, your relationship with Jesus to address your deep internal wounds and sin patterns. You never actually become a different person in private. And so what happens is, unfortunately, many Christians remain stunted at an immature level of spiritual and emotional development because we're practicing, we're doing the spiritual practice things, but we've never allowed the Holy Spirit into the lower levels of our soul, and we have to have both. We have to have both. This is why it's possible for you to attend church for decades and still be terrified of conflict, deeply indebted, not be able to, to, to share an opinion or not be able to take criticism, hold grudges, leave and run and bounce around from church to church because of uh, feeling misunderstood or done wrong. And you would say, man, I tithe, I serve, I attend, but you've never allowed the Holy Spirit to get into the parts of your soul deeply to work on the emotional healthy side. And so this is what we are committed to. This is what we are going to be committed to at Hope City Church is we wanna get as many people through the doors of this church as possible. This is what we've always been committed to. I think we should be growing as a church until every one of your relatives, neighbors, and friends know Jesus. We got a deal on that. So we're not gonna say we don't need to grow. We're not gonna say we don't need to get bigger. Like, I appreciate everybody who loves it the way it is. I get it. I liked my kids at a certain size too. But guess what? They kept growing, okay? And so we don't wanna stunt that until everybody in here, until all your relatives, all your friends, all your neighbors know Jesus. We're gonna keep throwing out the net, keep going big, keep trying to get them and do days where you can invite them and equip you and resort you to, to reach out to them. We wanna keep growing, get as many people in here as possible, Okay? Then we're gonna share the word of God. We're gonna, through relationship, we're gonna share. And we don't know how that's gonna land and where they are as a person or where they are as a soul. But what we wanna help people do is develop depth and roots and to allow Jesus to get into the deep, deep parts of their soul. And so what would it look like if we committed ourselves to spiritual depth and emotional health? I want you to think about that for a moment. What would it look like? What would your marriage look like? If you said, I'm not only going to be a, a, a church attending Christian, but I'm gonna be a, a spiritually healthy and emotionally healthy person. What would your job be like? What would your relationships be like? What, what, what would your mental state be like? What would your physical state be like? 
I don't know where you are today in this journey, your faith and where you are, but I want you to know as your pastor, what I'm committed to, to doing is to helping you to have spiritual depth and emotional health to be more like Jesus. We're not just talking self-help. We're not just talking mental health days. We're not just talking less anxiety. All those things are important. We wanna do that. And we're living in a world that's overwhelmed by that. But the goal of it all is Jesus. We wanna be like Jesus. We wanna be as close to like Jesus as we can, as much as we possibly can. I read this story recently the other day. Uh, I'll probably mess up his name, but it's an old uh, Cistercian monk. His name's Theophane. And he tells this story uh, of a day that he was walking outside in the monastery where he served, and he saw a monk working alone over in a vegetable garden. And he squatted down beside him, and he said, Brother, what is your dream? And the man looked straight at him, and he said, I would like to become a monk, he answered. Theophane looked back and said, But brother, you are a monk, aren't you? The man said back to Theophane, I've been here for 25 years, but I still carry a gun. He drew a revolver from the holster under his robe. It looked so strange, Theophane said, a monk carrying a gun. The man said, they, they, they," and Theophane interrupted and said, are you saying they won't let you become a monk until you give up your gun? No, that's not it, the man said. Most of them don't even know I have it, but I know. Well, then, Theophane said, why don't you give up your gun? And the man said, I guess I've had it so long. I've been hurt a lot, and I've hurt a lot of others. I don't think I would be comfortable without my gun. Theophane said, but you seem pretty uncomfortable with it. Yes, pretty uncomfortable, the man said, but I have my dream. And Theophane said, why don't you give me the gun? And he did. He gave it to Theophane, and they embraced Here's the point. We all have a gun. We all want to be a saint. We all want to be a great Christian. We all want to be something that we want to be. And we all have those secret sins or habits that we rely on to protect ourselves and to make us feel safe. And we're uncomfortable living with it, but we're afraid to live without it. Listen to me. It's time to give up the gun. It's time to give up the gun. We wanna lay it down and we wanna come to Jesus and we wanna say, the person that I've been all these years, listen, I'm going to heaven, but the person I've been all these years is not the person that I wanna be. And I'm gonna lay down my life as I hate it, but also am terrified to live without it. And I'm laying it all down and I'm inviting you in and you go as deep as you wanna go and you touch whatever you wanna touch because I wanna be like you, Jesus. And so that's what we're going for, is deep change all the way down. And this is what we're passionate about as a church. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about more details about how we're going to do this. But for today, all I want you to know is that we want deep change, spiritual depth, emotional health. And we want that for you. And we want that for the people that you know and you love. We believe anybody can change. But we gotta get Jesus involved. I'm gonna pray for us and the team's gonna come. They're gonna sing and there'll be an opportunity for prayer and for communion. And as you're taking communion today, if you'd like to do that, you don't have to, but as you come forward and take communion,
if you'd like to do that. I want you to think about the fact that because Jesus Christ came and because his body was broken and his blood was shed, that there's nothing that he cannot do in your life. That the, sin, the power of sin was broken by Jesus Christ on the cross. So as you dip that bread and that juice and you take it today, as, as you're swallowing it, I just want you to think, there is no power stronger than what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that the power of sin and death and hell is broken over my life. That I do not have to carry around my secret sins or pet habits or hurts to have an identity. That I can give it all to you. I can truly lay down my life and follow you day by day, moment by moment, and become more like you. And so, God, I pray that you would help us at Hope City Church to be the kind of place where anyone can come and find you and meet you, but not stay the way that they are. Not because of guilt or shame, or not because of hype or pressure, but because they truly meet you, and they meet a bunch of people who have met you. And they allow you to come in, they cling to your word, and patiently over time you produce in their life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.